kind of get you up to date to where we are. We're going to be jumping into Exodus chapter 3 uh, today. Before we do that, um, there was an illustration. I talked about Scooby-Doo last week in the message. Whoever got the little Scooby-Doo dog, that was cool. Good move. So Scooby needs Jesus, so we're going to put Scooby-Doo right there, and hopefully he'll get saved today. Um, uh, so if, if you're going, Pastor, what, what in the world are you talking about? Listen to last week's message. It'll all make sense. So let's jump into Exodus chapter 3. We're in the part where Moses is, is going through Midian. He's in the desert. He's fleed. Uh, Egypt and Pharaoh because he's worried about his life. So here he spends 40 years in the desert and here God now wants to establish his relationship with him. And have you ever wondered, God, why do you take so long to do things? Have you ever asked that about God? Why isn't this happening? Can you imagine? Here he is. He's calling him. He, he raises him up in, in Pharaoh's court. And then he flees. And it's not for another 40 years till we see all the things that begin to happen within Exodus. So here he is. And God speaks to him. And God first establishes his relationship with Moses. And then he's through Moses. He's going to show him how he wants the Israelites to relate to God and how they need to trust him. So what I want to do is we're going to be in Exodus chapter three. And what I want to do is read the first part of, of Exodus, specifically verses one through 15. So if you're there, let's read this together and you can follow along on the screens. Also, it says, now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro. Okay. He's not related to Jethro of the Beverly Hillbillies. This is a different Jethro, okay? His father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to his far to the far side of the desert, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within the bush. Moses saw that that through the bush, that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. So he went over and he said, the bush does not burn up. And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him within the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. And then God said, don't come any closer. Take off your sandals. The place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he says, I'm the God of your father. Now he specifically tells him, this is who I am specifically. I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And this, and this Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord says, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hands of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the, 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 the Hivites, the Jebusites, the Parasites, all of the ites, okay? Verse 9, and now the cry of Israel has reached me, and I have seen the way of the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said to him, I will be with you. That's it.
If you're waiting for the call of God to be gifted, to be perfect, you'll never be ready. God just says, I will be with you. And this will be a sign to you that is I who have sent you. And when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. And Moses said to God, suppose I go and the Israelites say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And here God reveals who he is. And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. And everybody said, amen to the word of the Lord. See what's going on here. What's going on here is Moses is at Mount Horeb, which is actually another name for Mount Sinai. This is the place where God would meet Moses. This is the place where Moses brother Aaron would meet him before Moses would actually return to Egypt. And this is the place where Moses would meet God and receive the commandments of God as the Israelites are encamped around Mount Sinai. The place, the word of God tells us, it's called the mountain of God. It is here that God will reveal himself to Moses. And so what God does in this place is he reveals his nature. It's where God is going to shape the very identity of Moses. Now, what's interesting is when they come here, when he comes here, he sees what? He sees this fire and it's not consuming. So it's not consuming the bush. So this is very interesting. So he comes and then from that burning fire, that bush that's not burning up, Moses is intrigued. And that's where God speaks to him. Isn't it? We love fire, don't we? We love those of you that camp or like camp. How many like a nice campfire? Right, You love a nice campfire. For some reason, you just sit around and you can sit around a campfire and just stare at flames for hours and be intrigued with it, right? How many know fire has, is good and also can be very dangerous at the same time? How many have ever had mishaps with fire? They're not a good thing. Don't raise your hand because you don't embarrass yourself. But we've, we've, all, we've all had some mishaps at one time or maybe with some fire. You have to be very careful with it. So this intrigues Moses. The, the one story I can tell you about fire is one time after my son's uh, football game, they had a big bonfire after the homecoming game. And this thing was the teepee for this wood thing was like 45 stories high. This thing was huge. I mean, it was going to be the bonfire of all bonfires. So, you know, they got permission. The, the, the fire marshal is there, right? We're all ready. You got all these kids, family around watching this bonfire, ready for it to go up. What could go wrong? So we pour gasoline on it. What could go wrong, right? So the coach is there, he pours gasoline, takes the can, and he's about 15 to 20 feet away. He throws a match on this thing. This thing goes up like the Hindenburg. It's like, it is so 
hot. My eyebrows burned. I mean, it was just crazy. What happened is the fire made a trail. It caught on the fumes and goes all the way to where the fire can is, where the coach is. And the minute this thing goes up, people start running for their lives. It was just a scene. It was like the Hindenburg going. People like, oh, the humanity, right? And so we run. And then finally, we get the thing under control. In fact, later we heard that the space station, you could see it from the space station. Um, it was so big. And so what we did is we joined, we enjoyed the bonfire about a half mile away as we all watched it and we could toast marshmallows about 8,000 feet away from this thing. It was huge. But how many know you've got to be careful? And so here Moses, he sees this fire. And so he's like, man, what, what is going on here? And it's from this fire that God speaks to him. And so what Moses will learn at the burning bush will shape his understanding of God and how he is to relate to him. And this is what I want to dig into today about what God actually reveals about himself. And first I want you to see that God comes to Moses and he reveals his name. This is so important. God comes to Moses. It's on God's terms. God says, I'm going to show you who I am. And it's interesting how people will define God. This is interesting to me. Many will say, well, I'm not religious. And anybody tells me that they're not religious, I kind of read between the lines. Because when they say they're not religious, they'll say, well, I'm spiritual. And what they're saying is, is, is for the most part, is I, I'm figuring God out on my own. And so you know how I respond to that? I always respond to those people that say, they say I'm not religious either. And I'm a pastor. And I love the look on their face because they're like, wait a minute, you got to be religious and you're a pastor, right? I said, no, I'm, I'm not. And, I, and, and then I explain why I'm not religious. And, and when we're talking about religion, let's all get on the same page here, right? When we're talking about religion, that what they're saying is we don't, we, what they're saying is like, well, I, you know, church and structure and all that other stuff and man-made stuff and, and blah, 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 blah. And then I begin to share about what Jesus came to do and why he came to earth. Not to set up another religious system, not to place more burdens, but to have a relationship with us and set us free from the very sin that holds us captives from actually knowing God. God wants to know us, not to enslave us to a bunch of things that will keep us from knowing him. And so what happens is, is they will usually, when they say, I am, I am not religious, but I'm spiritual, or I have my own ideas about God, I don't like formalized religion. Basically what they're saying is, I want to define God in my own terms. God did not want Moses to misunderstand a thing about him. God did not want Moses to define him on Moses's terms. See, it can happen with Christians too. We may not like certain parts of the Bible. We may only, we, we kind of like it's a la carte. We're going to pick and choose the things that we do like out of the Bible. The things that make us feel good, right? We all love hearing about the love of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God. Those are all wonderful. And we kind of pick and choose and kind of like an a la carte type of religion. Or the things that may convict us or speak to our waywardness. We don't like those things. So we make this God that is comfortable for me. I'm going to only allow you to come so close, God. But don't start messing. Don't start meddling. 
Don't start poking around. Don't get too close. I want this God that's kind of close but far away that I can control, not enough to convict me of my waywardness, but just enough that I can control, that I can feel comfortable with. In fact, Thomas Jefferson created his own version of the Bible, the Jefferson Bible, where he basically cut out all the parts that he didn't like. How convenient is that, right? See, we can do the same thing. We can ignore the parts that we don't like. But let me just say this. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter what I think. Can I get an amen? Really doesn't matter what I think. See, God is not some that we can shape into what we want or we desire. And so what God does here at the burning bush, he specifically shows Moses, this is who I am. And I'm going to show you. And God tells Moses, when he asks them, who should I tell them sent me to you? What well, if the Israelites are going to ask me? And so what God does is he shares the duplicity of his nature with Moses right there at the burning bush. And I believe this is difficult for us to understand is this duplicity of God's nature. We tend to fall on one side or the other. We'll fall on this one side of God's mercy and his grace and his love. And it's great to talk about those things. And that's God. Or we may fall on this other. God is holy. God is truth. And we just have to give people the truth and the truth will set them free. Period. And then we leave out this side. Or we may fall over on this side where, hey, we got to be loving and graceful. And, you know, and let's be careful here because we don't want to offend anybody. We don't want to offend anybody. Right? And so we can fall on either side. And here's what God does. God shows in a wonderful way at the burning bush the duplicity of his character and of his nature that we today need to embrace both. So how do we embrace both natures of God without falling way on one side, without ever dealing with sin or waywardness or falling on this side where it's all about hellfire and brimstone and give the truth and cram the Bible down people's throats and blah, 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 right? We've seen both sides. We've seen people that have walked in both sides. And so here's how do we, how are we careful with both of that? Because what we see here is he is God, and what he says to him is there is no other. He just says, I am. He's this terrifying God. He's, he's a judge. He carries life and death in his hands where he says, Moses, don't come any further. You're going to die. Well, now I know who you are. Okay. And Moses at that point was afraid. He hit his face, the Bible says. But then on the very same time, to Moses, he is more loving and gracious than we could ever imagine. That's the duplicity. That we deserve everything that's coming to us. That we deserve death. We deserve punishment. We deserve judgment. But on the very same token, on the other side, God is like he's more loving, more gracious, more merciful than you could ever, ever imagine. And what's What's dangerous is that we can get our concept about God the Father, either in the way we're raised or our fathers or whatever, the way we see discipline, and we can kind of morph that into the character of God. And that's how we kind of live out our Christian life. And that is so dangerous. 
Because God is perfect. And God is a perfect, loving father. God is different from anything else that we have ever seen. And this is how he tries to reveal himself to Moses. This is a God that no one could ever make up. So the question, if you're taking notes, if you're in your notes, here's the question we need to ask ourselves. Is this, who is God like and who is God? So that's the question. Who is, who is he like and who is God? That is the question. And this is what God reveals to Moses when he says, I am. So let me just give you just two points this morning and then we will be done and you can go out and enjoy your day. And everybody said, amen. Okay. So here's the first point. The first thing I want you to see about God's character in his I am statement is this. God is above us. Basically what this means is God is transcendent. What, what do I mean by this? God is, God is above us. If you're taking notes, God is above us. And so what this means is God is transcendent, which means God is above everything else. He's transcendent, which means God is above everything else. He is at the top of the pyramid. There is no one above him. So he says, I am period. There's no one above me. There's not me and these other gods. He revealed himself to Moses as the God of Abraham, God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. This is who I am. And so right away, Moses, oh, I know who this is. He hides his face. Basically what he's saying, there is no equal. That's why I love the song we sang this morning. There is no equal. It's not God and it's God, period. So what this means is that he is creator and that he exists outside of time and space. So when I say that God is transcendent, it means that God is above everything else, that he is creator, that he exists outside of time and space. If you can get to this point about God, it's going to take you far because this humbles us because then we realize is we're not everything. Knowledge doesn't stop with us. That God is creator, that he exists out of time and space. And so at this first encounter with God, Moses was afraid to look at God and he hid his face. So Moses understood that no one could look at God and live. And the reason is he could not handle seeing the fullness of God. So Moses understood that you just don't treat God lightly. He is above us. He's awesome in every sense of the word. He is holy and he's this all consuming fire, fire burning, bush ain't burning up. Don't mess with God. So that is Moses's instinct. You meet God, you hide your face. Even the angels in Isaiah chapter six hid their faces from God. So here's what I want you to see this morning. God's grace, his mercy, and his love do not diminish in any way his holy character. You can have this duplicity about God and be perfect at the same time. Perfectly holy, nothing unholy can stand in sight, or, they, or you will die. And you have this grace and mercy that diminish nothing from his holiness. And so what we see about God and we see about this relationship that he established with Moses, that God is holy and nothing unholy can stand in his presence. So how does this cause me to act before God? Well, I think we need to have a, 
have an awesome respect and reverence for the Lord, that he is the giver of life and that he can take life. But this fear that we have for the Lord needs to be balanced with God's mercy and grace and how much he loves us and how we relate to God. See, the question here is this. Why did God ask Moses to remove his sandals? He's standing there. God is there. And he says, Moses, I want you to remove your sandals. So here he is at the burning bush. And he's standing there and God says, I want you to remove your sandals. Why? Was it, was it that the ground was holy? When you walk into this church, is, is a church holy? Are the seats holy? Is the platform holy? What, what, what? made that place holy. Here's what made that place holy. It was the presence of God that made that place holy. Here's what I want you to see. I don't care where you are. Maybe you're reading your Bible and you're in your backyard and you feel the presence of God in your life and God begins to speak to your heart about things. Guess what? That place is holy ground. When we come together and worship as God's people, it's not that, ooh, ooh, the church, ooh, some spooky, mystical, ooh, right? Some Gregorian chant in the background, hallelujah, right? What, what, you know, and some, I remember as a kid, you'd walk in those churches and the big stained glass window, you just walk in, you're like, whoa, this place is really neat. But what really makes that place, it's the presence of God. When we sing to the Lord and we worship him and we lift up Christ's name, the reason why this morning, I don't know about you, but there was something going on. Why? Was it the musicians? They were great. They're great. They do a great job. But it's who we're singing to. And all of a sudden, we feel God's presence. We're ushering God's presence because we're singing together. We're worshiping him. God meets us where we are. God meets us through worship and praise, and adoration, and God begins to speak your heart, and you just can't. I, I know about you. This is just me. This is just me, and I know everybody's different. I can't have my hands to my side. Lord, you're so good. And you may be hearing, it's like, why do people lift there? Because I got to surrender to say, God, you are above me, and I just surrender, and I got to lift my hands and worship him. Now, that doesn't make you any more holy than the next person next to you that aren't lifting their hands. It's, it's, it's about the heart. I get that. But man, we'll be, we'll be at a sporting event or something. And we'll, do you sit there at a, yes, go team. Yes, right? We got our hand. We're going crazy, right? Man, if we're worshiping the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and God is doing something unique and special in your heart and we're worshiping and we're lifting up and we're saying, there's no name like you. You're, there's no equal. You conquered the grave. Yes, Jesus, you conquered the grave. Yes, right? Okay, that was just, I'm sorry. I don't want to condemn anybody there, but just, just saying. So here he says, he says, listen, I want you to remove your sandals. So we understand that God's presence made it holy ground. 
So here's, here's a symbolic thing about the sandals. The symbolic thing about the sandals is they're symbolic of the filth of the world and its defilement. Because when you, when you wear shoes, you're, you're walking around and it's just your feet get dirty. And that's what it basically symbolized with this filth, filth and defilement of, of the world. And, and this filth, what God says is, if you're going to come near me, the filth has to be removed. You, you just can't come in my presence. Once again, he's establishing. I'm holy. You're not. You just can't come into my presence. This filth has to be removed. And see, here's, here's why I want to fast forward to Jesus, because this is our only hope. Because how many of you, this ever happened to you? You try to remove the filth of the world through man-made methods. And what we do, we're great at this, aren't we? We all have done it. We try to remove the filth of the world by man-made methods, by, by trying to be a better person, better church attendance, right? All those things are fine, but that can never remove stain of guilt and sin on our life when we try to do it through good works. And so what he does, he says, Moses, you got to remove your sandals because that, that nothing unholy can come into my presence. So I'm telling you what to do so you don't die in my presence because I'm a holy God. And I'm doing this because I love you. God's grace, mercy. And so fast forward to Jesus. Jesus comes, perfect son of God, is God. And what he did on the cross was remove the stain of filth of sin on our lives that we might approach a holy God now with confidence, knowing that God will help us in our time of need. Not because of anything good that I've done. Moses was filthy. Every single one of us in this place is filthy because of sin. And we try to remove it through man-made methods that never work. And that's why we still feel guilty. That's why if you don't come all the way to Christ, that's, that, that guilt and that sin is going to still hang on your mind. And Christ came to set us free from that very thing. Thank God for Jesus, right? So he comes, he dies on a cross. He takes the filth of that sin upon himself, upon his sinless life, and becomes our substitute for those that put their trust in Christ may receive the righteousness of Christ that's now imputed into our lives. That we might now, through Christ, come to God. Does that mean I'm never going to do another bad thing? No, of course, we're going to make mistakes. But now we have an advocate. We are our Positionally, we are made right before God because of Christ Jesus and our faith in him, not on my good measure. Thank you, Jesus, because we make mistakes so often. So what it is, is by Moses, oh, listen, by Moses removing his sandals, he was obedient to the voice of God. It was a recognition of, of unworthiness. So when we recognize that we are filthy before the Lord, it's a recognition of our unworthiness. And that's why Moses hit his face and he removed his sandals. He was obedient to the Lord to do it. So even though God is transcendent, that doesn't mean he is removed from us and they doesn't care. So God just didn't bring Moses there just say, hey, Moses, you're filthy. Nah, 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 nah. 
You can't serve me. You die in my presence. Go back out in the desert and have a nice life, right? He just didn't do that. Did somebody ever do that? Just point out something in your life and you're like, thanks. That helps me out a lot. Well, give me Or you ever have somebody come to you and say, like, can I tell you all the problems here? Point number one, blah, 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 blah. Point number two, blah, blah. And I have this policy. Listen, if you're going to come to me with a problem, you better give me two solutions. See, because then what it does is it makes you responsible for it. So God just doesn't point out all the problems. God's going to give him a solution. And our solution is through Christ Jesus. So even though God is transcendent, that doesn't mean he's removed from us or he doesn't care. God didn't create the world and then remove himself from the affairs of the world, like deism would say. It's a recognition that God is above us. And there's this awe and reverence. And yet at the same time, God is near Moses. So here's this, I take off my sandals, but I'm still, I'm still near to God. I'm obedient. I recognize the filth, my unworthiness. I hid my face, but yet God receives him because he obeyed him. And here's what I want you to see. That God does hear the cries of his children. And that's what brings us to the second point. Yes, God is transcendent. He's above us. And we need to recognize that and just thank God that you're above us. And I need to humble myself before you, Lord. But the second thing, what God reveals to Moses, this is that God will be with us. Here's him. Here's what I want you to see. God is with us. See, even though God is above, he does care and he was concerned. And so God comes near to Moses and what this means is, is that God is imminent. He, he's above everything. He's transcendent, yet he is with us, which means he's imminent. God is both above and near and speaks to Moses and says, I am that I am. This is who's going to send you to Israel to lead them out. But let's be careful. Let's be careful as we understand that God is above us. And, and like, yes, I need to walk in that fear and reverence for who God is and that he holds life and death in his hand. And he could kill me at any moment. God, you are awesome. And I am not. Thank you for your mercy and grace. So as we understand that, we also need to understand that God is, is imminent, that he comes near to us. And there's a balance between his transcendence and his imminence. In fact, the translation for the word I am in the Hebrew language can also be translated this way. I will be, or I will be with you. This is the promise God gives to us that he will never leave us or forsake us. So what God is telling Moses is your identity, your identity is tied to my identity now. God wanted Moses, he wanted Moses' security to be tied to him and not to his abilities. Listen, the reason why we struggle with insecurity in our life is because our identity is attached to our abilities. So if I'm doing great, look at me. I'm something, aren't I? Right? If I'm winning, if I'm, the be- if, I'm, if I'm doing better than everybody else at my job or whatever, and I compare myself, I'm, look at me, I'm doing good. I'm a good parent. Look at my kids. All of a sudden, one kid goes wayward. Whoops, not going to put that on Facebook. Right? And then all of a sudden, our identity tanks. I'm a terrible parent. My God, if I ever have kids, I'm terrible. Everybody else on Facebook, their kids are perfect. Right? Why do I even look at Facebook? I know some, you look at Facebook and then you get done looking and you feel horrible about yourself. Why? Because our identity is attached 
to our abilities. God says, Moses, you are not going to make it if your identity is attached to your abilities. He says, I want your identity to be attached to my identity, that I will never leave you or forsake you, that the I am will be with you. Someone say amen. So here's the thing. Why did God pick Moses, who was actually hiding out in the desert? Let me just say this. The only approval Moses needed was God's approval. I love what Tim Chester says here. He says, Moses doesn't need to have higher self-esteem. He needed a greater sense of God's presence. That's it. The only proof of Moses need was God's. So Moses didn't need to be the superhero. He just needed God. When he says, God, God, what am I going to say? What did God say? He goes, I will be with you, period. He wasn't saying, well, Moses, let's get your PhD, uh, you know, in um, your PhD in leading people out of uh, bondage. We need to get your leading people out of bondage PhD. And then once you do all that, then you can do this and you'll be well equipped. He just said, God says, listen, I'm going to be with you. See, Moses was average. He wasn't picked because he was the best or he scored a perfect score on his SAT or that he could slam dunk a basketball or he was the best athlete. In fact, he was average hiding out in the wilderness. And I know so many of us feel like failures, but guess what? Can I just say this, just as we wrap this stuff up, let me just say this about you and about me. We're average. Look at your neighbor and say, you're average. Okay, you're just average. And you know what? That's okay. That's okay that you're average. You're average. I'm average. Uh, You're an average parent. You're going to do some good things. You're going to make some bad decisions. You're an average husband. You're an average wife. You're an average mom. You're an average dad. You're average at sports. Not everyone can be a Steph Curry or LeBron James. Okay? You are average. And we are told that you are this and you are that. And we put pressure on ourselves to be the best. But listen, everybody take a deep breath. You're average. That's what you are. You're just average. I was talking to my son, Colby. He loves math. He's studying engineering at the U of R. He gets nothing from me. I don't even, I barely got through algebra. Got a 75, my region's final. Teacher was just so glad I was out of his class. Okay. He loves math. So he's showing, Colby never took physics in high school. And so the first time he's got to take it at the U of R. Have fun with that one, Colby, right? So he's studying, he's going and I go, how'd you do? How'd you do? How'd you do on your, on your final? He's studying everything. He goes, dad, I got a 36 on my final. (gasps) Oh my God, we're wasting our money. He goes, dad, hold on. You know what the average score was? A 50. He goes, I ended up getting a B plus in the class. Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) You know, nobody he says no one's gonna i don't think he goes that professor never had given it out in his life so there you go see we're average we're average and here's what i love about god because we're told that you've got to be this you got to be that but at the end of the day someone will always be better than you at something isn't that humbling when we know that 
But here's the thing I love about God. God says to Moses, he said, Moses, listen, you're average. You're hiding out in the wilderness. Uh, I'm not looking at you as anything special. But I want you to put your identity in me and not in your failures. And that's why God uses average people. Moses asked God, who am I? And God wanted him to know that he was a child of God, that I will be with you. That's all you need to know. Because you're going to go through a lot of stuff. And if you don't get that, you're going to struggle the rest of your life. If all of you here don't get it, that God says, I will be with you. And if you're struggling with your identity and struggling with your life and struggling with your failures, you're failing to connect that you, when you come to God through Christ Jesus, that you are now an adopted child of God. Your identity is not attached to your past or your failures. That no longer tells you who you are. child of God and God says I will be with you so this is what Jesus says here's what Jesus says let's wrap this up and here's what Jesus says to us for those that are struggling with their identity and knowing God and feeling like man this is the only way I know God over here because I just feel like such a screw up and God hates me and and some of you may be over here and you're like, well, God loves me and it's okay if I remain in this sin because I can ask for forgiveness later and blah, blah, blah. Some of you need a little bit of this. Some of you need a little bit of this. Moses needed both. So if you're attached to the identity of God, you understand the holiness of God, that yes, you are filthy. Yes, yes, you've fallen short. But then you understand the mercy of God that it's not, that's not going to be held over your head that God will not condemn us when we confess that before him, when we come to his son Jesus, that now in Christ we are covered, that the wrath of God was placed upon Jesus because of my sins. So here's what Jesus says to average people like you and me. Here's what he says. Come to me. All you who are average, average, average. All of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you what? Rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble. I'm gentle in heart. And you will find what? Rest. You find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear. And the burdens I give you are light. That doesn't mean we're never going to go through difficulties in our lives, but it means that Christ will be with us. God wasn't expecting Moses to be perfect. God said to Moses, I got you. I got you. I will be with you. You're my son now. Trust me, and I will be with you. Some of you here today, you say, Pastor, I'm trying this Christian, I'm trying to do my best, but I just don't feel like a son or daughter of God. I feel like I make too many mistakes. It's because your identity is attached to the wrong thing. Stop trying to please God through your works. Stop trying to gain this advantage and his approval by all this stuff. 
Humble yourself before him. Humble yourself before him. And say, God, I receive your son Jesus for what he did for me. And now I want my identity to be one that is one with Christ. And God says, you're my child. You're my adopted sons and daughters. And that's not going to change. That's your identity. You're a child of God for those that are in Christ Jesus. So when you start feeling down, you start feeling inadequate, remind yourself who you are. Who are you? You're an adopted son and daughter of God Almighty because of Jesus Christ. You are now co-heirs with Christ Jesus. And all the inheritance that was given to Jesus because of his faithfulness now becomes ours. That's pretty powerful. And God says, I will no wise cast you out. Moses needed to understand that and hear that because he's going to make a lot of mistakes as we're going to see through the book of Exodus, just like you and I will continue to make mistakes. But what did we say last week? God is faithful to his promises. And God will be faithful to Moses, even though Moses is going to make a ton of mistakes. God will say, I got your back. Moses is going to have to repent. Moses is going to have to do a lot of stuff just like you and I. But God has got our back that doesn't change my identity and who I am in God. Your past no longer defines your future. So as we pray, as we finish today and as we close in song, we're going to sing about the holiness of God and allow the duplicity of God's nature, his holiness and his mercy and grace just minister to you today. And if you're here today and if you've not come to Christ and you, you've not solidified that relationship with him, I would encourage you to do that. Listen, it doesn't have to be some formal step. One, two, three. The Bible says anyone who calls out to the Lord shall be saved. You just call on him in your own way. Just say, God, I'm here. Filthy, messed up, a lot of mistakes. I need you. I need you. And I believe that your son did all this for me. God sees your heart. God's the one that changed it. That relationship goes from one that was far away to one that is now close to God. And Jesus bridges that gap for you and I. Find your identity in him today. So would you bow your heads with me as we just pray? And let's ask God just to go with us as we close this time together. Thank you for just being attentive to God's word today. Let's make this a sacred moment right now. As every head is bowed, every eye is closed, let's just make this a sacred moment between you and the Lord. Maybe you're dealing with insecurity. Maybe you're dealing with, man, God doesn't like me. Maybe you're just dealing with an habitual sin that you know is causing you to not live the way God desires you to live. Whatever that might be, let the Holy Spirit speak to you in that way. And lay that thing at Jesus' feet. He's wanting you to come. Come to me. All you are heavy laden. All you are heavy laden from religion, from sin, whatever. It is. What, what, what's that thing that's burning in your heart today? Lay that thing at his feet today. Come to him. 
and allow him to change you. So Lord, I pray for every person here today, what they're going through. You know what it is. Holy Spirit, do your work, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and let's sing this under the Lord today, shall we? God bless you guys. What heart could hold